Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Tony Stark to my Aldrich Killian, Steve. Steve, I'm giving you the hero this time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> granted, um, but, uh, yeah, Adrian Killian. Oh, Ald Aldrich. Aldrich Killian. Aldrich, that's right. I don't know. He is a pretty uh, suave guy. He is like the better counterpart to Tony so far. Out of compared to the, uh, your Justin Hammers that we've done before. And um, Obadiah so Stane. I think, I think it's a pretty even match, to be honest with you. Well, realistically, if you look at what Aldrich Killian is, he's basically Obadiah Stane and Justin Hammer all rolled into one. Yeah, he's definitely the better of the of all three of them. I I'm, do like that. That's I'm good. glad we can agree on that, because I'm sure that'll yes. be a contentious point later on in the show. Yeah, this might be our one and only time. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week we're tackling the third movie in the Iron Man franchise and the seventh in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man 3. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email me at movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at slash movieplanetpod, Twitter and Instagram at movieplanetpod. And on this show, we will be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Preserve. And the comic book Movie Planet Preserve is comprised of seven and only seven films. In order to be inducted, it's got to be reviewed by us. Now, these seven films are, number one is Deadpool, number two is Iron Man, number three is The Dark Knight, number four is Batman Begins with an A-, minus. number five was Marvel's The Avengers, which we just did, which got a B-plus average. Captain America, the first Avenger, got a 9.5, which was a B. Yeah, B. And Thor got a B, which is a 9.3. So those are seven right now. That's a pretty strong seven. I, I, I really like that seven so far. Yeah, and we'll see if we can get another Iron Man movie in there. The higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it down on its butt from the preserve in the future. So we will discuss the movie on it in an hour or so. We will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. This is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2013's Iron Man 3, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and anal cyst. Oh, analysis, sorry. Okay. Let's talk about how this movie has been made, okay? This week, we're discussing 2013's Iron Man 3, a movie made for $200 million that brought in $1.2 billion worldwide. That's, that's is, this the first, is this the first one that's brought in the over-the-billion mark? The first single one. The first single, okay. Yep, yeah. Coming off of the popularity of Avengers, Iron Man 3 comes out, and that brings in over a billion dollars. So, you know... Maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Uh, written by Drew Pierce and Shane Black. Produced by Kevin Feige and directed by Shane Black. This is the first one not directed by Jon Favreau. I was going to say, what, what, what has Shane Black done prior to this? Uh, Shane Black has worked on a couple of Robert Downey Jr. movies. Okay. And he did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He did, uh, I think, uh, I'm blanking on him right now. I'm curious on how they got him to do it. I wonder if that was a little Robert Downey Jr. pulling oh, it was. Drink to work with a familiar director. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, right. Starring Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Hey, welcome back. As James yeah. Rhodey Rhodes, War Machine, Iron Patriot, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Guy Pierce as Aldrich Killian. Rebecca Hall. Oh, as Maya <laughs> Hansen. Ty Simpkins as Harley Keener. John Favreau as Happy Hogan. 
Ben Kingsley as Trevor Slattery, Stephanie Shostak as Ellen Brandt, James Badgedale as Eric Savin, Paul Bettany as the voice of Jarvis, William Sadler as President Ellis, Miguel Ferrer as Vice President Rodriguez, Mark Ruffalo making an appearance in the post-credits as P Bruce Banner, and Stanley as a beauty pageant judge. <laughs> Another great arguably, Stanley. Arguably one of his... So far, one of his best, most uh, raciest um, <laughs> uh, scenes that he's done so far. I think the, the raciest has been Deadpool when he shows up as uh, the strip joint DJ. Oh, that's true. Yeah. This, then, then, okay, then that one definitely takes the cake. This one was definitely number two. Did you just see, like, him when he holds up his sign, just like, the little, little creepiness of him just comes out a little bit. <laughs> and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. All right, well, now it's time for a little thing we call Inception to Perception, where we talk about how this movie got made. Now, before this movie even gets off the ground, there's some legal stuff that's got to get figured out. See, following the release of Iron Man 2, a conflict between Paramount Pictures, which had distribution rights to certain Marvel properties, and the Walt Disney Company, which was now Marvel Entertainment's new corporate parent, it made the possibility of a third Iron Man movie seem bleak. But like Disney handles everything, on October 18th, 2010, Walt Disney Studios agreed to pay Paramount at least $115 million for the worldwide distribution rights to Iron Man 3, with Disney, Marvel, and Paramount announcing a May 3rd, 2013 release date for the film. Iron Man and Iron Man 2 director John Favreau said in December 2010 that he would not direct Iron Man 3, opting instead to direct Magic Kingdom, which never got made. Now it should be noted that both Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 were really made before Disney truly got their clutches on the properties. It's almost like a pre-MCU. The Demon in a Bottle storyline, which had Tony dealing with his alcoholism, was ditched for a different issue, post-traumatic stress disorder. John Favreau remained an executive producer of director Joss Whedon's crossover film, The Avengers, and also served as an executive producer of Iron Man 3. Also in 2010, Robert Downey Jr. decides to reach out to director Shane Black. Then... Early in 2011, it's announced that Black was going. Black and Drew Pierce were writing the script, and that Shane Black would direct the movie. Now, Shane Black described his take on the film as a Tom Clancy thriller with Iron Man fighting real-world type villains. Drew Pierce added that they would avert magic in space, with Iron Man 3 being a techno thriller set in a more real world than even the Avengers. The film's plot is influenced primarily from Extremis, the 2005 to 2006 Iron Man comic storyline written by Warren Ellis. The first two acts of this movie would remain character-centric, albeit in Shane Black's words, more hectic, frenetic, and large-scale to fulfill its sequel obligations, with the third act going for more over-the-top action to what Drew Pierce described as giving a sense of opera. The middle act was compared to Sullivan's travels in having Tony meet various people on his journey, and the writers made sure to not make the characters too similar. The initial draft had Maya Hansen herself leading the villainous operation, with the Mandarin and Killian emerging as antagonists in later versions of the script. 
During one of the writing sessions, Drew Pierce suggested that the Mandarin was a fake, and Black agreed by going with making him an actor, which in turn Pierce detailed as an overacting British stage performer. Black explained, quote, who would be fool enough to declare that is an international terrorist? If you're smart, whatever regime you're a part of, you'd put a puppet committee and remain in your house, end quote. In turn, Killian would hide Slattery in his own frat house in kind of a drug-related house arrest to keep the secret alive. According to Shane Black, the reveal of the actual villain being Hanson was like Remington Steele. You think it's the man, but at the end, the woman has been running the whole show. The, whole, the role was eventually shifted to Killian because of objections by Marvel Entertainment executives who were concerned with apparent merchandising losses that could come with having a female villain. The roles of several other major female characters were also made smaller in the final film compared to earlier drafts. Both the opening and the ending of the film were reworked in various ways. First, it would begin with a flashback to Tony's childhood. Then, like Iron Man, it would begin in Medias Res, with Tony crashing in Tennessee before a voiceover that would lead to how he got there, until it got changed to the final version. For the climactic tanker battle, it was originally considered that Brant would show up in the James Bond tradition of the henchmen, coming back for the heroes. Instead, they chose to use Killian himself, and have Pepper, whom he abused earlier, cause his downfall as a way of poetic justice. The final dialogue was originally written as I Am Tony Stark to be a response to the first film's ending, but eventually it changed to I Am Iron Man to enhance the mythical qualities. In April 2012, Ben Kingsley entered into negotiations to play a villain in Iron Man 3. The following week, Producer Kevin Feige revealed that Iron Man 3 would begin shooting in North Carolina, quote, in five weeks, and said that it is a full-on Tony-centric movie, very much inspired by the first half of Iron Man. He is stripped of everything, he's backed up against a wall, and he's got to use his intelligence to get out of it. He can't call Thor, he can't call Cap, he can't call Nick Fury, and he can't look for the helicarrier in the sky, end quote. A few days later, the Walt Disney Company, China, Marvel Studios and DMG Entertainment announced an agreement to co-produce Iron Man 3 in China. DMG, partly financed, produced in China with Marvel, and handled co-production matters. DMG also distributed the film in China in tandem with Disney. A week after this, Guy Pearce entered into final talks to play Aldrich Killian, a character who is featured in the Extremis comic book story arc. So before you sit there saying he was never in the comics, yes, he was. Chinese star Andy Lau became involved in negotiations to join the film as a Chinese scientist and old friend of Stark's who comes to his aid. Lau would later turn down the role and Wang Zhiqi was cast instead. Jessica Chastain entered discussions for a role in the film, but bowed out due to scheduling conflicts. In May, Rebecca Hall was cast in her place, and her role was described as a scientist who plays a pivotal role in the creation of nanotechnology known as Extremis. Over the next few weeks, James Badge Dale was cast as Eric Savin, Ashley Hamilton was cast as Firepower or Taggart, and Favreau returned to reprise his role as Happy Hogan from the first two films. According to Drew Pierce, Amelia Clark was initially cast for an unknown role before the script was changed, and nobody has any idea what role that could have been. 
But that is how this movie came to be. Well, the first time I saw this, I was actually really lukewarm about it. Uh, not a whole lot of Iron Man action through the film, which is kind of what I had grown accustomed to. I mean, this is really a step back in the action department. And when you go and expecting one thing, it's like grabbing a glass at breakfast and you expect orange juice and it ends up being milk. You're like, okay, well, I didn't expect that. That's disgusting, but it's still milk. I like the taste of milk, so I don't get it. So, yeah. yeah. What about you, Steve? That's funny that you bring up that analogy. Um, <laughs> um, I, the first time I saw this, I was on my Joe journey. Um, it had been a while since. Oh, I, really? I, you I two knew this. each other? <laughs> <laughs> it had been. I think I've only seen this movie like once prior to maybe once or twice before I saw it again, just not a couple days ago. I remember the first time I saw it and I was kind of hemming and hawing at it because I don't know. I was still confused by a little thing. I, I, it was it was tough for me to follow. And okay. it doesn't mean that I paused it, moved on. No, I watched the whole thing through just for the record. Um, you mean you didn't watch was, 15 minutes still, and then wait till the next day to finish it? No, that's that's Dark Crystal. Anyways. Um, <laughs> you bastard. But, <laughs> but I don't know. It just it, I, There was a lot of just like, huh, questions. And I felt like I missed something so that... So during the film, I was thinking about other things. I don't know. It's It was just a weird, weird film. And I, I mean, trust me, I was excited to see this for the third time because now that I've seen Iron Man 1 and I really liked Iron Man 2, I was just like, okay, m maybe there's just something I didn't grasp from it the first time I watched it. So I was really all into finally seeing this movie again. So, All right. Well, hey, let's get into the synopsis of this movie. I'm sorry I'm late. I was, what the, what is that? You're wearing this in the house now? What is that, like Mark 15? Uh, yeah. Something like that. You know everybody needs a hobby. Oh, and you have to wear your hobby in the living room? Just breaking it in, you know? It's always a little pinchy in the gooey bag at first, so. <laughs> well, hey, did you see your Christmas present? Yes, I did. I, I don't know how I could have missed that Christmas present. Is it going to fit through the door? Well, actually, uh, it's a good question. I got a team of guys coming tomorrow. They're going to blow out that wall. Okay. So, uh, tense, good day, huh? Ooh, shoulders, a little naughty, naughty girl. I don't want to harp on this, but did you like the uh, customer of it? Did I like it? Well, nailed it, right? Wow. I appreciate the thought very much. So why don't you lift up that face mask and give me a kiss? Beep, 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 huh. Yep, damn it. No can do. You want to just kiss it on the, the uh, facial slit? Well, why don't I run down to the garage and see if I can't find a crowbar to jimmy that thing open? A crowbar, yeah. Oh, except there's been a, uh, a radiation leak. I'll take my chances. That's risky. At least let me get you like a hazmat suit. You can Geiger counter or something like that. Busted. This is a new level of lame. Sorry. You ate without me already on date night? He was just... You, you mean you? Well, yeah, I just mean we were just just hosting you uh, while I finished up a little work. Uh-huh. And yes, I had a quick bite. I didn't know if you were coming home or you were having drinks with Aldrich Killian. What? What? Aldrich Killian? What, what? are you, checking up on me? Happy was concerned. No, you're spying I on wasn't... me. I'm going to bed. Come on. Come on. Hey, I admit it. My fault. Sorry. I'm a piping hot mess. It's been going on for a while. I haven't said anything. 
Nothing's been the same since New York. Oh, really? Well, I didn't notice that at all. You experience things. And then they're over and you still can't explain them? Gods, aliens, other dimensions? I'm, I'm just a man in a can. The only reason I haven't cracked up is probably because you moved in, which is great. I love you. I'm lucky. But honey, I can't sleep. You go to bed. I come down here. I do what I know. I tinker. Threat is imminent, and I have to protect the one thing that I can't live without. That's you. And my suits, they're, uh... Machines. They're part of me. A distraction. Maybe. Dokie. The movie opens with Tony narrating a story about how we create our own demons. In a flashback to New Year's Eve 1999, Tony meets a botanical scientist named Maya Hansen in Bern, Switzerland, and arrogantly avoids crippled nerdy scientist Aldrich Killian, who wants Tony's backing in his endeavor. Advanced Idea Mechanics, or AIM. Maya has an experimental plant Maya has been working on. And in some unethical biological research in plants that causes their DNA to change drastically and has the power to cure incurable diseases and paralysis. This is our beginning. We get I'm blue, Dabu Diabu Dabu. Yeah. I, this, I okay. love seeing him 10 years earlier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking about that. You know, when I first saw him, I was like, dang, he looks really young. And I'm thinking, okay, is this just, one, it's got to be practical effects because it's not like Tony Stark is super, super old where you have to use any computer generated stuff. But I'll tell you, they made him look a lot younger than what he is right now. Yeah. And Happy looks like, great also with the mullet. Oh, God. He looked <laughs> exactly like John Travolta out, yes. of, uh, out of Pulp Fiction. It was great. <laughs> did he have a bolo tie also? <laughs> yes, he did. And he had the mullet going down, the slick hair back mullet. Oh, yes. God. Uh, I love the idea of him narrating this and talking about creating his own demons because I, I was thinking about Iron Man 2 and I still don't really know what growth he had in it. But this one, you get it. It's like, okay, he's learning something. And we're going to find out that everybody's talking to here is actually kind of important. He runs into Ho Yinsen from the cave. Yes, I did. And I had to stop and think. And I actually, I think I paused the film at this time and says, he he looks like he's important. They wouldn't show this. And now I'm thinking, like, what the heck do I know? Oh crap, he's running into his buddy that yeah, he sees in the cave. Yeah, and so, I and I go back to what he says in the cave, which is, you know, we met he goes, We met once. When? In Switzerland. Well, this is the callback to it. <laughs> yes, yes. You were yes, way too drunk. <laughs> yes. But we also meet Dr. Wu at the party, who it comes in and then goes away till the very end of the movie. But they are two massively important people that are later in his life. Yeah. So kind of nice that he meets all these people in Burn, but he also runs into, oh, the, the glorious Maya Hansen. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to keep sighing every time I say her name. Because is she your Scarlett Johansson? She is my Scarlett Johansson because, I'm sorry, 
She wears a sundress better than anybody else. But also, interestingly enough, we meet the opposite of her, Aldrich Killian. Oh yes, this this guy when he first walked on the state when he when he first walked on the screen, I'm thinking, okay, this is this guy who sees this multi-million dollar, extremely successful Playboy guy. Because I'm assuming this was 19, oh, it was 1999, so he was still was he weaponizing Stark Industries still? Um, Stark, yes, yes. Okay, so he was still in the military thing because I know. I couldn't remember where the timeline was, whether this was technically before Iron Man 1 or not. So he was still weaponizing things, and he just kind of looks like that nerdy guy who just works in his lab all day, and <laughs> he's just like, you know what? I know Tony Stark's going to be here. I'm going to try to get into this you know, party gala or whatever, yep. and he's going to try to make sure that he gets his way just to put his two cents in to try to sell something because, you know what? You got That's what you got to do nowadays and sell and kind of know the right people. So that's a, and kind of comes in with a limp completely, you know, for lack of a better term, handicapped. But, uh, yeah, he was definitely a character in the half. Yeah. And, it's you know, what, how much that changes. It's kind of funny because if you look at who Aldrich Killian is in this movie. And I, I'm saying this in a moment of deference and, and not like, oh, it, this is awful. He's syndrome right. from Incredibles. Oh, God, it's been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah, starts off as a fanboy of Mr. Incredible, and in the end is the big villain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I definitely had pulled off that fanboy thing. In fact, I think Syndrome's whole thing when he was the villain was, we'll make everybody super. That's what Killian's doing. (laughs) That's exactly what he did, (laughs) yeah. In December 2012, we now go ahead uh, 13 years, and a haunted Tony Stark has obsessively built several, and that's an underlined word, several, Iron Man suits in his mansion. Tony's working on a new model, the Mark 42. Not the Mark 5 or 6. He's got 41 other suits. Okay, yeah, because I was going to say, when you you see several on the screen. You see like four or five. Yeah, that's not even that's like the tip of the iceberg. Those must be like his like his top ones or something. Like right. the ones that he has on display. Like one is roadies. Yeah. Maybe. And I wouldn't be surprised if he had like his first like original one in there, kind of still for inspiration. Yeah. So. Or or one of them is for Pepper when she eventually wants to be rescue. Yeah. Uh but anyway, yeah. He he's got all these suits. He's working on a new suit, the Mark forty two, and this is an interesting one because it comes in pieces. It doesn't come as one big suit. Uh, yeah. I I kind of think that's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's him evolving because normally he would just like have to be somewhere to step in the suit. So that means he has to be at a certain location. Yes. So um, he's doing this, and at least that's how I got from it, so that if the need calls, he can just kind of push a button or signal something and can all come flying to him at, at any point where he's at on the globe. Oh, yeah. So and he's that was really, that, that's the next thing of evolution that he needs. So and this still. And it still feels like an Iron Man movie. Yes. I mean, he's still doing the quips. He's still being a smart ass and all that stuff. And, you know, it, welcome to the birthing suite. Here comes your bouncing baby boy. <laughs> Jarvis, drop the needle. <laughs> okay. So we get all that fun stuff. But then the Mandarin, a new terrorist, hijacks American airwaves and makes his American debut. By taking credit for the bombing of a U.S. military station in Kuwait that killed the wives and children of soldiers out on maneuvers. 
President Ellis's initial response to the Mandarin, however, makes him the butt of the jokes of late night talk show hosts. It seems the only thing that he's able to come up with is to take the MK8, the suit worn by Colonel James Rhodes, and formerly known as War Machine, and have it repainted, rebranded, and reintroduced as the Iron Patriot. Mm-hmm. How well known is War Machine at this point? I mean, he wasn't in the Avengers movie, and he was only the tail end of Iron Man 2 in public. Well, he's a government entity, so I think maybe one of the things that, because I remember when we discussed on the Avengers and why he wasn't there, and I think I initially said that they were just kind of trying to concentrate on the team for the Avengers. Okay. But S.H.I.E.L.D. is like this other part of the government that nobody talks about and that nobody recognizes. They're kind of on their own thing. They are still part of the government, and I think this Iron Patriot or Rhodes, he's being used by the government kind of when they need a face for it. Okay. Um, where Tony Stark, and when he's when, when they need him or they need Iron Man, he's part of this other division in the government. So I think he's almost kind of like the face of the new military government. So I think it was probably good on the government's point of view to put it as Iron Patriot because War Machine <laughs> just sounds so incredibly violent. And, you know, this USA rah, rah, rah. And, again, I wonder if it had anything to do with because, oh, we had a Captain America. Right, you know? right, we right. Need another American, you know, the rah, Iron rah, Patriot. Rah. He could have been that. He could have been even that. Oh, my gosh, I didn't even think about that. What if he was just, like, a poster boy? Well, no. No, he's maybe. capable. Rhodes, well, just the Iron Patriot itself, you know. Instead of using the war machine, he could have been like, uh, yeah, he could have been maybe just a poster boy. Maybe that's why they rebranded him that way. Well, I'm glad he goes back because this war, this Iron Patriot crap sucks. Well, no, silly. I, I totally agree. But yeah. it, it, maybe that was the government's in, initiative. I don't know. Yeah. But that being said, fun. I love the intro to the Mandarin. I believe him to be an actual terrorist. <laughs> oh yeah, this thing came out of nowhere. Now, okay, my question was, what yeah. was part of, what's the ethnicity of what the Mandarin was supposed to be? Well, because what, they the show a lot of Middle East stuff, kind of like what's going on over in Iraq, and that's kind of the vibe I tend to I tend to get. But what was his ethnicity kind of supposed to be? Mandarin was a Southeast Asian comic book villain. Okay, not. Uh, Middle Eastern, so okay, they that, they had they to were, revamp this because of the times, basically. Okay, so in the film they portrayed him as uh, as a Middle Eastern. Yes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> which, but with a British actor. <laughs> okay, so you brought it up, not me. <laughs> British actor that didn't even his Middle Eastern accent even still kind of wasn't there. No, no, it sounded very American. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he had the look. He kind of had the look down. Yep. And even in the montage videos that they did have, he, he played the part, but it, it, it was the accent that just didn't sell it. Yeah. Well, Anyways. Tony later asks Rhodes in a restaurant what's really going on with the Mandarin. And Rhodes tells him that Tony, that, that while the media and the press only know of three bombings attributed to the Mandarin, there have been at least six more that have been taking place off the books. Tony is confronted by a group of kids who want his autograph. The girl asks how Tony was able to escape the wormhole in New York, causing him to freak out and run to a suit that is parked outside. Jarvis, Jarvis explains that Tony is suffering a massive anxiety attack. Okay, so Tony is clearly not right after the events of New York. There's your PTSD, perhaps. 
Uh, this is the first time I think that we've seen a superhero deal with the trauma of a massive war on the screen. This is something new. I'm in. I still am wondering where it's going. Yeah. I mean, out of all the people to uh, kind of suffer any kind of trauma, you know, you yeah. have your leader here. Right, you know? right. I mean, okay, you, just, you got your cap, but he's uh, Captain America is just so tunnel vision. Um, he's uh, his, so he's focused of, on the mission. Good, good boy, Cap. Um, <laughs> but Iron Man, to uh, kind of be an original here, to kind of, in, in my eyes, I still think is the all-time leader of the whole group, to kind of suffer anything really humanizes him. Yes, you don't think of him as a superhero anymore. No, 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 no. He, uh, th- this is, this is where you realize he's going to need more than a suit. Yes. Okay. It really brings his character back down to earth that everybody can relate to. And especially now during this time in the real world, outside of the movie, we were in the midst of the war. So, I mean, there was a lot of people who were, I think PTSD was really starting to come out and be well noticed because of all the, um, yep soldiers coming back and whatnot. So I think it was a good step to bring awareness to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, back at Stark Industries, Pepper Potts goes to meet with Aldrich Killian, who has cleaned himself up since 1999. That's a handsome man right there. Oh, uh, yeah, I would totally think that. <laughs> a little, little, bit of, little bit of a makeover for sure. Yeah. Aldrich wants Stark Industries backing in his think tank called Advanced Idea Mechanics. Ames' goal is a biological experiment called Extremis, which harnesses the brain's power to alter human DNA. He then shows Pepper a massive hologram reconstructing of his brain and how Extremis can utilize parts of the brain that would otherwise go unused. But Pepper tells Aldrich that Stark Industries isn't interested in funding AIM because the ideas could be translated into human weapons. Uh, there's a lot here, but first off, I got to say, Happy Hogan as the new head of security is amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, you got your badge. Got your Where's badge? your badge? Where's your badge, buddy? I sent Where's the memo out hey. last week, yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he, he, he's definitely a little anal when it comes to his position, but good, but but good for him. He's he's, he's, he's experienced a lot within the last couple of years, so my hats off to Happy. He's a great overprotective security guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a good father figure. One other thing, Pepper Potts is not just a figurehead of this company. Uh, she's making decisions as CEO. And the right ones, might I add. So she's come a long way since being Tony's assistant in this series. Yeah, she's Tony's the owner and she's the brains behind everything. She yeah. just funds it and she's doing that. Yeah, and that's kind of when you were talking about when, well, kind of going over this on why she rejected um, Aldridge's, you know, thing. You know, when I saw it's like, you are tapping into some. I mean, you're you're taking away people's free will here. Yes, that's just it, that's just an ethical thing. I'm just I, I, it, it did not surprise me at all one bit that she would say no. Yeah, so, but and they've also progressed the story between Pepper, Tony, and uh, Happy because Happy used to work for Tony. Happy doesn't work for Tony anymore. Happy works for Pepper now, and because of that, now we get to see what Happy's like with Tony when he's not working for him. And it yeah. turns out they're still really good friends. And I think that's so yeah. cool. You have anything you want to add about the scene? Yeah, one of the things. Go ahead and read it. Killian to me when I went, went okay the second time we saw him after his makeover, which is eleven years. And I'll tell you, for um, if you had to present something, yep, to the huge CEO coming in the way he did from what he was last time, that's a huge selling point right there. That almost would have bought me in. Yeah, the fact that where he was physically to where he is now is like okay. What do you have to, you know, offer me? 
but he just he seemed like the new Justin Hammer, just without the humor. I already had pre-made notions about Killian already. He's the Tony Stark wannabe who just doesn't have everything that Tony Stark has. I was a little hesitant to really kind of ex- I clearly knew that he was going to be the main that he was going to be the antagonist. Yeah. Along with the Mandarin, so that com- got me a little off guard. Um, I liked both of them, but I was really curious on how they were go- like. Don't give me another Justin Hammer. How is this guy going to be different? So I was open to that. I wasn't like already shutting the door at him already. Okay. But I'm going to read exactly what you wrote in this. Great. Okay. Alien seems like another Justin Hammer. Yeah, I kind of said you that. You really walked way. that whole thing back really well. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to nail you on that one. I had stuff prepared to rebu- re- rebuke what you just said. But <laughs> you you threw me. Th- I have to take away. My- I-, I have a notebook right here. <laughs> Pepper drives home and Tony has a huge stuffed bunny with the weirdest placed arms for her as her Christmas gift. Yeah, it didn't look like a bunny to start off with. I thought it was a bear, but then once he gets inside <laughs> the house, I was like, I I saw it. <laughs> it was it's you know what? That's classic Tony. He's the type of guy, well, it brings back to the uh what was it, Iron Man 2? Yeah. Where he gets the strawberries. Yeah. He he's the kind of guy who just kind of goes out and says, you know what? I need to do something nice. Let me just get the biggest, most outlandish thing, not even thinking about what it does. You know, he just got go big, go home. You know, let's just go for it. I, I, and I'll be good. That's what the girl, that's what the lady wants. It's very Justin Hammer of him. What it looks like. <laughs> it's very Justin Hammer of him. No, it's nuts. <laughs> no, it's not. Stark and Hammer are not. <laughs> okay. Uh,. <laughs> However, he's busy working, and Pepper isn't greeted by Tony, but by another remote-controlled prototype of the Iron Man suit, and that has her rather upset. Tony has developed a heads-up display and is using it as a remote control. He explains to Pepper that he's been unable to sleep because he's a complete mess after the events of New York. Pepper and Tony here, I could watch another 30 minutes of it. Yeah, they feel like they've been married for like 10 years. I love when she looks looks at the suit like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, I totally buy that Tony's dealing with some heavy shit. Uh, and the next scene when he's sleeping and one of the suits seems to activate itself to protect Tony is legitimately frightening. And if I was Pepper, I'd be sleeping on the couch downstairs also. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was actually surprised the fact that she wasn't more. I know she was angry in the scene that she, she left. Oh, I'm going to go sleep on the couch. I'm just surprised she wasn't even more frightened. Like, I don't, like, pissed off that this happened, but more the lack of, like, dude, I'm so scared of being around you and what's going on here that I can't even be in the same house. Yes. I'm even surprised she's done that. I, I would have probably expected her to even just leave the house all in general. Yeah. Um, it's a great no, metaphor for PTSD and dealing with it as a family. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. The next day, Happy follows one of Killian's men, Eric Savin, to Grauman's Chinese Theater. Savin gives another man, Jack Taggart, a briefcase. Happy tries to intercede, but is beaten senseless by Savin, and seconds later, Taggart overheats and explodes, leaving behind only his old dog tags. Happy is left severely injured while Savin walks away, 
Hours later, the Mandarin hijacks the TV airwaves to take responsibility for the blast. Yeah, I'm still confused as per what Jack Taggart and Eric Savin are up to. Is it a drug or is Taggart committing suicide here? I think it came off as more of a drug when I first the second or third time I saw it only because the guy seemed like he was an addict. Like he was in kind of a desperation mode okay. trying to get something from Taggart. So I took it as, as a drug to kind of, I think he knew it was a little unstable, whatever was going through him and Taggart needed to help him out to kind of keep them all on the same team. But again, you didn't know any of this because you didn't know Taggart was the little glowy guy until later on. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, uh, a question I have for you. Yeah. So how, why was happy there was happy there just to, for him just to figure out. Cause I know he saw Taggart without his ID badge. Okay. Um, was he just like just following up on him on his own accord or what was going on? Why was, why did happy go to the, uh, Chinese theater to begin with? Okay. So at the end of the scene, when happy and Tony are talking on the phone and, and, to, and Tony locks him in the freezer. Yeah. He says, yeah, I'm going to go follow this guy right here. He looks shifty. I'm going to follow the shifty fella. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's that got, was just happy got a bad the feeling. The happy head of security. Yeah. Yeah. It, overproductive happy. Apparently, yeah, he, Tony it. needs Let's one. Talk about, yeah. Talking about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know what happy is? Happy is everything that Jarvis cannot provide. Okay. Tony's now furious over happy, who's been knocked into a coma by the bombing. After visiting the hospital, check on happy. Tony is mobbed by reporters. Um, really? You gave the Mandarin your address? Doesn't yeah, everybody know where Tony Stark lives already? <laughs> oh. He's freaking Tony Stark. Yeah, everybody. Well, I'm sure everybody kind of knows where he lives, but he's just trying to get the Mandarin guy there. But then again, yeah, I guess he could have looked him up or his posse or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't know. I, I don't know. He, he doesn't know where this guy's at. The Mandarin is, you know, he's could be overseas somewhere. You know, it says, oh, come on over here. Maybe that's just him. I think that was just Tony just I was like, you know what? And as he says it, not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you at all. I'll even give you my address. You know? Mm-hmm. Personally, I probably would have flubbed the address a little bit. But um <laughs> given the one next door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like that mean guy or that person who always walks their dog and it just craps on your lawn. Yeah. Give him that freaking address. <laughs> and also after he does this, I I would expect the military to step in and be like, listen, we're going to give you some guards because you just did something really stupid and you are Iron Man. We need you. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I, I I could totally see Rhodes going, okay, that's not kind of what we met here. Um, yeah. If you want to get a you know, whole time to you know, talk to the military, blah, blah, blah. Coming in and saving him that way. But, yeah, you know? War Machine, well, Iron Patriot should have been on his freaking doorstep the minute he said that, like, okay, now I have to do this for you. Yeah, bail him <laughs> out, yep. Well, while at home, Tony has Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis, bring up a hologram diagram. Oh, that's fun to say. Hologram diagram of the destruction <laughs> at Grauman's Chinese Theater. While Jarvis is analyzing the attack, Tony discovers that Happy is pointing to military dog tags with the name Jack Taggart etched onto them. Jarvis then analyzes the latest Mandarin attack and compares with past incidents. This blast of the theater bears resemblance to an incident that happened four years ago in Rose Hill, Tennessee, and predates any known Mandarin attack, where an ex-Army soldier named Chad Davis blew himself up, taking five people with him. Tony asks Jarvis if he's ever been to Tennessee. Jarvis then creates a flight path for the Iron Man suit. Now, I will let you expose what's wrong with Jarvis here. Go. So, I, I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but in Iron Man 3... 
I feel like this is the most human Jarvis has ever sounded. He almost has a lot of, I mean, let's keep in mind, he's a computer. Yes, he is. But but he seems very, you know, his mannerisms, his sarcasm, you know, it's just not something that a computer does. You put in the input, it gives you the output. You know, it doesn't argue with you. It doesn't has sarcasm behind it. It just seems like, man, I don't know. I just thought Jarvis was very humanistic in this whole entire film. I really got it in this scene because he made a lot of little smart quips here and there. But the whole computer scene himself and blowing up and, for lack of a better term, blowing up the whole crime scene, look at it that way. That was just kind of mind blowing. That was tough for me to kind of get across. I'm like, really? Yeah. <sighs> See, that for me was something where I was like, ooh, I think I have a problem now because it just seems like Tony's tech is a little too smart now. Yeah. I mean, if it can yeah. recreate an entire crime scene down to the dog tags that nobody knew were there based off of all these different articles and stuff, that's not smart. That's omniscient now. Seems like the Tony's technology is more far gone than anything that the government has or anything that any police station has, and that can be kind of dangerous. I think we can both agree that Jarvis, as an AI, is evolving with every single film. I agree. In fact, when we get to Age of Ultron, we find out how far Jarvis goes in -hmm. his evolution. Okay, so he's interrupted when the doorbell rings, and the visitor turns out not to be the Mandarin, but ah, Dr. Maya Hansen, who who believes Tony is in danger. (laughs) Please don't tell me there's a 13-year-old in the car. (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden, the house is attacked by three helicopter gunships disguised as news choppers. The Tony commands the MK-42 suit to protect Pepper. Pepper and Maya survive the attack. Tony gets the MK-42 back and manages to destroy two of the helicopters. But down on power, he cannot fly. Wah, wah. The house crumbles into the sea, taking Tony with it. The suit regains some power and flies off unseen, and Tony passes out. So, what can Tony Stark do if he's not Iron Man with all the bells and whistles? Well, this scene is where we find out. He's got the armor, but it ain't weaponized, and it's just a prototype. So he's got to use them smarts. Let's throw a yeah. piano at the motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he does a great job of using them smarts where he takes <laughs> out um, where he takes out the helicopters. He uses in everything around him to try to do it. It seemed a little unrealistic. You know, the fact that he's able to take out helicopters with missiles that probably has a forty caliber attached to it. I mean, and then him getting shot at the same time, it made me think about, dang, what kind of metal are these suits made out of? <laughs> Where it can make a little bit of a dent, but I'm, I mean, a 40 cal, that leaves a <laughs> hole in your freaking body. And all these missiles being thrown. Granny, you know, I don't even know if he gets hit by a missile, but still, and this is the prototype. So uh, I still have no reason why they attack Stark. I mean, what is the motive for them even doing this? He called them out. I don't. Know. I, I don't know. I, it just <laughs> at that point in the film, I was like, okay, why are these people still attacking? I still didn't understand the main motive. Why was the Mandarin? Because I'm. A, that's what I assumed that the Mandarin sent his henchmen yes. to go take out Tony Stark. Why? Just because he's an all-powerful being? I I, I still didn't know at that point. And you kind of asked for it when you gave out the address. Yeah. Again, related back, this is what did you expect? Um. <laughs> 
<laughs> Any- just, uh, for just the Mandarin to come showing up at the front door. All right, we need to talk. Um, <laughs> Boy, that would be a different movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but I will say, you know, as cool as everything was, I thought the whole action scene was kind of neat. And yeah, having him to use all of them smarts. <laughs> Sorry, you need to quote that. No, it's okay. Um, oh, yeah. uh, it, it was perfect. How his suit detaches from his body and pulls him out of the wreckage underwater. I really thought that was cool. That's awesome. That was was really, really neat. Even better is Jarvis telling him, hold your breath. Yeah. The first one I saw him hold on your water says, really, this this suit isn't like waterproof at all? Um, (laughs) Because he was about to drown in his own suit. But then again, I'm like, okay, I guess half of a building did fall on him. It might put a, (laughs) it might put a little bit of a crack in it. But the 40 cal didn't do anything. Right. <laughs> well, it is in pieces, though. I'm pretty sure he didn't think, I need to line this with <laughs> insulation so I can, you know, do waterproof stuff in it. I bet he's got a. Wa- I bet he's got an aqua suit. Okay. I mean, that he's thought of everything else. I, that would have been neat. That would have been neat to see. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime later, Tony awakens in the suit when Jarvis sets off the low battery alarm. He crashes into a snowy forest at full speed. Initially, he thinks he's in Northern California, but Jarvis informs him that he's actually five miles outside of Rose Hill, Tennessee. Tony is exasperated, but Jarvis reminds him that he asked for a flight plan to be made. And with no more power, Jarvis shuts itself down. And for the first time in his series of movies, Tony has no access to his friends, no access to his suit, no access to Jarvis. He's completely alone. He's just Tony Stark. Love it. Yeah, this uh, Jarvis finally being a computer. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I thought it was freaking hilarious. The fact that they wound up in Tennessee and Tony Stark gets out of the suit and says, where the heck are we? Oh, we're in Tennessee. You said you wanted to go to Tennessee. So I put in Tennessee. That's like every time in math class, me telling a student, Hey, you know what? A calculator is a great thing. If you put in the right functions and the right part, the right numbers, you're going to get the right answer. Exactly. But if you put in the wrong information, you're going to get the wrong answer. It's amazing how and that that's works. immediately what I thought of at this point. Yeah. Uh, this is great. Also, him shutting down. When he shuts down finally, and you hear Tony say, Jarvis, don't leave me by, buddy. It's yeah. like, you realize how lonely he is without Jarvis. And uh, it, it's it's a, it's a little heartbreaking the way that it looks. They, they do that it, scene really well. <laughs> It is, it is, and I can tell that they're trying to humbleize him a little bit, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tony trudges through the snow, dragging the Mark 42 along with him. He stops at a gas station where he is, uses a payphone to call Pepper. Tony then drags the Mark 42 to a seemingly empty house nearby. Inside, he immediately begins work on repairing the Mark 42, but the house isn't empty. <laughs> it's occupied by a lonely 10-year-old kid named Harley Keener, who is stunned to find Tony working in his garage. Tony asks Harley for some help and promises that he'll be rewarded later on if he gets the help he needs. Harley tells Tony that the world thinks he's dead after the attack on his mansion. Tony introduces himself as the mechanic, and Harley asks Tony one question too many about the events in New York City, causing Tony to have another anxiety attack. (laughs) I love the casting of Ty Simpkins here. He and Robert Downey Jr. Jr. have great chemistry. It's like watching Downey and Cheadle. I could do this all day. Yeah, I liked it a little bit better rather than Downey and Cheeto. This this actually brought, I felt like this is the old Tony Stark again. Just yeah. the uh, the classic banter was well scripted. It was just classic Tony. I loved it. <laughs> and he calls the kid a <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he has no filter. 
it almost makes it, it's like, you know what, when you hear that, it's like, yeah, this guy could ever, ever have kids. Well, and <laughs> it, just, I don't think he could stand kids for a little bit. It's really funny because when you're first introduced to Harley, he's got the potato gun and he's pointing at him and he goes, you know, you got a long neck on that thing, small tube. You're not going to get a whole lot of it. He shoots something, blows it away. And you can tell instantly Tony goes from this is not a kid and he starts talking to him like he's an equal. Yep. Yep. And this is going to lead to something that I want to talk about later on, which is I think that they had plans for Harley Keener beyond this movie. So I'm going to just leave that right there because I think that the way Tony discusses things with Harley and talks to him like an equal, I have a feeling that this was kind of like, if we can't get Spider-Man, at least we've got Harley. All I got to say is, where is this kid's parents? Well, his dad went away for scratchers six years ago. He was what? Remember, his dad left. Okay. Oh, yeah, his dad left and his mom. Is at work. Okay, so he's that kid where the parent. Okay, yeah. This is why the. Uh, all right. Okay, I got you. Okay. I was gonna say why? 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 Why isn't he going to his parents at all? Who's watching this kid? Is a ten-year-old at home by himself? No, he's uh, he got home. His, his sister's not home yet. The one with the door of the Explorer. Uh, watch. Yeah, who's probably younger than him, right? Yes, right. Okay, so you got this. Te- so if she's not home. He's home by himself. Yeah, it's he's he's what 10, 11? Didn't I say he was ten, 10 or eleven? 10. You could stay home by yourself for an hour or two. No, no. Come on. Then you again, did, you did again, when you were you younger. Know, this, uh, the, the, judging by the little town, which I meant to say, what, what was it? What was the name of this town called? It was called Rose Hill. Hill. Rose Hill. Is there an actual Rose Hill in Tennessee? I don't know. Okay. Well, I was going to say. Uh, I Tennessee. know this was not know. in Tennessee. <laughs> oh, no, no. It was in uh, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, back at the remains of Tony's now completely destroyed Malibu mansion, Pepper is searching for any clues to find out whether or not Tony is still alive. Thankfully, she is able to retrieve a voice message left from Tony recorded after the attack that proves that he is alive. A relieved Pepper that then seeks answers. Tony finally manages to get Jarvis back online thanks to a, a heads-up display that he developed several months prior to the bombing. Oh, okay, so the technology is working good here. Teaming with Harley, Tony investigates the remains of the Mandarin-esque suicide bombing. Harley tells Tony about all the rumors surrounding the attack and the soldier in question. Tony notices that there are five shadows on a concrete wall from the five victims who were killed along with Chad Davis. And as a teacher, Steve, you can completely understand this. Watching Harley ask Stark all those questions, which triggers another anxiety episode, is both really entertaining and so honest about what a kid would do. Yeah, I have a couple of these kids that might be even worse than what Harley has. And typically they tend to be the sixth graders. Yep. You know, where they're always asking questions and knowing this. So what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Yeah. Is this bothering you? Do you want me to stop? (laughs) Do you want me to get you a paper bag? Trying to help by helping too much. Yes. But he has another attack. And this is the second one that he see that that, uh, Harley is witness to. Tony then meets with Davis's mother at a bar where he notices she's expecting someone and has a file on hand. He's about to ask more questions when one of Killian's agents, Ellen Brandt, shows up and suddenly cuffs Tony. She poses as Homeland Security agent to explain her actions to the sheriff, but when he starts asking for her identification, she shoots him. As you do. Tony manages to escape the bar, only to be cornered by Savin. He manages to defeat Brandt by luring her into a room where he's opened a gas line and heats up Davis's dog's tags in a microwave, learning from MacGyver. 
The explosion throws Brant into a telephone line and electrocutes her. Seven tries to take Harley hostage, but Harley overpowers him, allowing Tony to grab his car keys and escape. Well, okay, we got an action scene. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. An action scene that? without Iron Man. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Not what I thought was going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> this whole um, scene, for some reason, doesn't feel like it's part of the same movie as the first 45 minutes. <laughs> no, it, no, it was a little different. It was, um, I don't know. I kind of liked it. I thought, you know, when, when he bumps into that um, agent or bumps into that lady before going into the bar, I was just like, something screwy here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he just doesn't bump into a random person and he's just like, oh, that's it. I was like, okay. Yeah. So when she kind of shows up back again, I was just like, okay. It had me twisted like, huh, okay, this is actually actual government coming back. And mm-hmm. then when you see her kind of do her little glowy thing, I was like, oh, this is going to get a little bit better, you know? <laughs> then Tony starts just kind of, you know, giving his little eyesights and everything, trying to um, tell the mom to like, okay, trust me, these people are kind of crazy. Get rid of that, uh, all the files so he can do up the reading on it and i think the whole action sequence was kind of neat i was just you know at the very end on how she dies i guess yes. right um she gets blown up oh yeah you know i guess if she were to heat herself up all the way you know that's kind of, you're kind of like a molten rock can't you come back together or something like that or form back together i mean this rug that there was they're supposed to redo up appendages you know so I would think that technology that's in them could kind of put them back together a little bit, you know? Maybe there's a point, uh, like, it's, like, only, like, if it's an arm or a leg, okay, but if your torso gets cut in half, it's going to be awfully hard to replicate, you know, Darth Maul-style your legs. Yeah, I guess. You know, and when the one guy heats up or whatever, and he's trying to hurt Tony or whoever, it's like, man, he's getting really, really molten rock hot. Why are his clothes okay? Okay, now I thought about this. First of all, and this is a this is a big conceit. Yes, there are non-flammable clothes. Oh. Okay. That being said, that being said, let's put that to the side. Does Disney really want a half-naked woman running around? Probably not. There you go. You probably, I would heat her up all the way so that she's just this big glowing thing, and you can't see anything. Almost like a human torch. Oh, you we'd know? all be looking. There'd be freeze frames of that crap all over the internet. I understand. It just didn't. It's Look just, what they did for, to Deadpool. I, I it's probably something very <laughs> nitpicky that I'm thinking about, but it just stuck out. It just stuck out for me. It was a little weird. Okay. Uh, Tony drives off in Savin's car. While he drives, the Mandarin hijacks the airwaves once more and explains that he's going to brutally murder the CEO of a major oil company on live television if the president doesn't contact them within a specific time frame. Despite the president making a phone call, the Mandarin carries out the shooting, warning that the president is his next target. Tony calls Rhodes, who has managed to locate what they think is the Mandarin. Rhodes takes a suit to the Middle East. There he is shocked to find nothing (laughs) but an abandoned warehouse which doesn't have a single trace of the Mandarin. He also finds that the file he got in Rose Hill is a document from Advanced Idea Mechanics. Killian's company. And my favorite part of this is you find out War Machine's username and password. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> War Machine 68 and the password War Machine rocks. <laughs> yeah, I seem a little embarrassed when he does that, but when he kind of when he came into the Middle East and was uh, you know, walked into that room where there wasn't where there were all these like ladies working in like 
you know, almost like a sweatshop. Yeah. I I immediately thought of Joel. <laughs> and I I immediately thought of his one line goes, <laughs> fooled you. <laughs> Space I kind of chuckled back. a little bit to myself. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Back in Tennessee, Tony drives to a nearby beauty pageant and sneaks into one of the one of the camera crew vans so he can research the data on the documents he's found. Tony hacks into Ames servers and finds video footage that sheds new light on what's going on. The bombs are the work of soldiers from the Extremist Program, an experimental treatment intended to allow its users to recover from crippling injuries like amputations. However, if a user's body cannot properly metabolize Extremis, the user's body heats to an extreme temperature and, oops, explodes. After veterans started growing unstable and exploding, their deaths were used to cover up Extremis' flaws by manufacturing a terrorist plot. The test footage shows that a number of early subjects were killed because of Extremis' flaws. So does that mean that Taggart had crippling injuries? Because he appeared physically fine before blowing up the Chinese theater. Yeah, he... Uh, he kind of had to because he, uh, well, he had the so-called serum. Can we call it a serum? Let's call it a serum. Let's call it a serum. It's a serum. Um, he had the serum kind of in him already. So that would have already, uh, brought his appendages back. Okay. So now he's just so, hooked on the serum. Yeah. I think he's just hooked on it. So, but my question in this whole scene yes. was they're trying to find out like, well, you said before, you know, if the body does, if it rejects it, then it kind of goes kaboom. Right. afterwards for, for whatever reason i would have thought as, as mean as this probably sounds they probably should have tested this a little bit more because i think it's like okay uh we know it works good for this person okay why so right you know, go into the biological features of what what what's with this person then it goes into somebody else where it doesn't work why didn't it work what was the difference between this person and that person because it sounds almost seems like a biological reason you know, yeah. on why it didn't work. So I'm just surprised that they uh, didn't kind of crunch that out. And, and I'm guessing that's why they probably wanted Tony to help fix that. But I don't know. That's just something that something seems a little bit easier on what they could have done to fix that problem themselves as a go against Tony. I think this um, is one of those cases where it's like, how do we fit a what they say? It was like a six episode comic book. Yeah. Yeah. How do we fit that big storyline into one movie? And in doing so, you leave out details. Yeah. Details we no. could have used. Yeah, deleted scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, it, well, this kind of piggybacks, I guess, on what I was saying. The whole extremist storyline, it was neat, I guess. It just, to me, it seemed dull. Okay. Um, the reason why was because, okay, it looks like someone is trying to do a different, is trying to do a, get a, a super soldier of some kind. That's why I said a serum. They tried it in Hulk, backfired. They've been it, trying they to do cap. it since Captain. It worked. Well, they've been trying to do it since Captain America, since he, since the fifties. They've been trying to duplicate this thing, and they just can't seem to get this shit right. No, no, they can't. It's not very original. It's, that's that's what the main antagonist is doing. You know, the antagonist with the uh, Hulk was trying to find a super serum for to get a super thing, didn't work out. Um, and now they're trying to do it again, and it almost seemed like Justin Hammer. Kind well, I shouldn't. He wasn't trying to build a super serum. He just wanted to get more Iron Man suits. Again, he wanted a super soldier type thing. Yes, but it was in the form of an Iron Man. So I was like, that's kind of what I thought of it. It wasn't very original. That's why I made it seem a little dull on my end. But that was just the Adrian Killian thing because before we even knew anything about what was it's, about to be unveiled later in the movie, it's Aldrich, Aldrich Killian, Aldrich, Adrian, Adrian is Rocky, Adrian, it's Adrian and Myers. <laughs> 
he seems like an Adrian. And for me, I love the extremist storyline. I think it's cool. Uh, I know you do. <laughs> I just thought it was eh. Elsewhere, Maya Hansen is explaining to Pepper Potts that her boss works for the Mandarin and that she's not a bad person. She just got involved with the wrong people in the name of science. And that's when Aldrich Killian shows up, clearly showing that both Killian and Hansen are working together. Yeah, that was a twist. <laughs> I like so. <laughs> And I like how they're like having like Killian. Okay, I'll just say Killian. Killian and uh, Henson are just having this normal conversation while he's got <laughs> Pepper Potts blasted up against a wall, choking every single life out of her. Yeah. I was like, uh, hey, you guys are vicious. Yeah. <laughs> he's got he's got her in a chokehold, and she's trying to get away. He he stops the conversation. He goes, Pepper, Pepper, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, this guy's great. Okay. Rhodes tracks the Mandarin's IP address and is led to a sweatshop in the Middle East. But it turns out to be, it's a trap! For one of Killian's agents disarms him and knocks him unconscious. Then, Killian's men steal Rhodes' suit with Rhodes in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) By the way, by disarm, they really just mean they shook his hand until it got hot and that knocked the suit out. Really? That's all it took? A heat wave? (laughs) So that's when him is that, that, that this is the scene where uh, Aldridge comes in, right? And puts the heat on him or no, not or, yet. Wait, we're, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Okay. That's this... the scene I had an issue with. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Meanwhile, Tony contacts Harley, who's working to restore power to the Iron Man Mark 42 suit. Harley has Jarvis working on pinpointing where the Mandarin's address is. And it turns out to be Miami. <laughs> By the way, this is when we find out that Jarvis is ending all of his sentences with the wrong word. Mm, did not even notice that. Huh. Yeah, yeah, where he goes, yes, I am charging, sir, but there seems to be a glitch in my programming. I shouldn't be ending all my sentences with the wrong cranberry. Oh, <laughs> didn't even notice that. That's why when he goes, okay, sir, it appears to be in Miami. And he, and Tony rolls his eyes and he goes, okay, Harley, can you tell, look on the map and tell me exactly where it is? And he goes, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually Miami. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Still not being able to use the suit because it's not charging. What? Tony infiltrates the estate headquarters using a variety of homemade weapons fashioned from stuff bought at a hardware store, Harley's trademark potato gun, and a limited edition Dora the Explorer watch belonging to Harley's sister. Now, in this scene, we get Tony having another attack, but this time, Harley walks him through it. Uh And I was like, okay, cool. There's an evolution to Harley and Tony's relationship now. I love Tony and Harley. I love the fact that Tony has entrusted Harley to do menial things like just plug in Jarvis to a car battery. (laughs) Here's a list of things you need to do. Just get him online. And even then, he's still not doing it right because he's not charging. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When he was uh, working on this suit, when they first saw it, says, how does this 10-year-old know how to work on anything Stark did himself? Yeah. It's not like, you know, Stark, you know, shared his shared his work with other people. He kept everything close to the vest. Yeah. But then this guy, this kid who comes in willing to shoot him with a potato gun, you know, oh, well, and then he questions him with this gun. But then the kid actually has it done right. Now he's got all the faith in the world in him and will trust him with rebuilding his suit and whatnot. I was just like, well, he's not okay, rebuilding let's anything. Kid, let's just say the kid's got a little bit of an education behind this. When did he start learning about all this technology? When he was 10? He's not when rebuilding he was nine, anything. He's he just charging the suit. With him. He's just charging the suit. He's not, re- he's not rebuilding anything. Entrusting this little kid to his suit. 
just seems a lot. Who but, is he supposed to entrust in a time of need like this? I guess that's all he's got. Exactly. I guess. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Inside, he discovers the Mandarin is actually a flighty British actor named Trevor Slattery, who is oblivious to the acts the Mandarin has carried out. And may I just say, arguably one of the best entrances for a villain, coming out of the bathroom, shaking his bathrobe. (laughs) (laughs) I love this twist. I I thought it was really cool in the theater. Trevor Slattery, Ben Kingsley. I'm going to tell you, this actor must have had a ball with this role. Okay, I will admit it was was a little funny seeing that this whole twist kind of play out. That, you know, you have this high-powered, you know, fake guy, the Mandarin, you know, being this evil, evil, you know, hard, hard-nosed villain. And his real name is Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I am the Mandarin, but I'm not the Mandarin. I am the Mandarin, but I'm not. It's it's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole Mandarin twist was unique, but I did like the Mandarin being the terrorist. I really like that as the main antagonist, even probably more than Adrian. I did that on purpose. But it kind of pulled the rug out underneath me, and it kind of cheapened it. I was like, wait a minute. I kind of invested in kind of liking this. And maybe it's just me being a villain's guy. I don't know. but I I can guarantee you that's what it is. Yeah, I was just like, it was really cool, but it's fake. It's like, okay, dang it. I thought that was kind of cool. But it's (laughs) it's kind of all right. Well, there's but, a part. I mean, I did see the humor in it, and it kind of made that part a little funny, I guess. Well, piggybacking off of that, there's a part when he is Trevor, and he's talking to Tony, and Tony kind of turns his back while Trevor's making a drink. And my initial thought when I saw this in theaters was, he's going to pull a gun out. He is the Mandarin. Oh, and he yeah. was playing as Trevor Slattery to get out of it. That's what, what I. That's what. That's what I thought was going to happen. And then all the way through, I'm like, okay, no, Aldridge is going to be the the Mandarin. I get it now. Okay. Yeah. Was it the same scene where, yeah, Tony turns his back, I don't know, for whatever reason, and then the Trevor gets uh, gets on all fours and tries to crawl, like, crawl away. away and escape? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> says, no, sit back in the chair. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Did he you was just, just like, did uh... you just nod off? <laughs> yeah. Oh, to think that that guy played Gandhi. Yeah, <laughs> that was another thing. <laughs> In Iron Man 2, we saw War Machine and Iron Man working together. Now we get to see Tony Stark and Rhodey working together. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this to you once before. When it's Iron Man and War Machine, Iron Man is the one in charge. But when it's Tony Stark and Rhodey, Tony Stark is taking orders. He's not, he's not making choices here. It's Rhodey's game. Yeah, when they're out of, when they're out of the, the suits, Rhodes definitely has... I don't want to say a talent, but he has more of the expertise and that's just the military of him coming out. And Tony has no military experience whatsoever. Yeah. So I think it, I, I do like the roles reversed there again. It humanizes makes uh, Tony seem more humble. Yeah. He accepts it. That's the thing. He accepts the fact that he's not the one in charge right now. Tony's captured by some of Killian's henchmen who are also extremist experiments. And Maya reveals she was working with Killian all along. She thinks Tony can help perfect the extremist DNA like he did drunkenly, apparently, 13 years beforehand, but she still can't crack the code, which is on the back of a freaking piece of paper. Aldrich arrives and reveals he has kidnapped Pepper and subjected her to extremists, intending to infuse her with superhuman abilities and turn her against Tony as leverage to gain Tony's aid in fixing extremists' flaws. Then he shoots and kills Maya. Boom. 
Yeah. <laughs> Took out my girl like she was nothing. Yeah, that was a that that, that was a little bit of a shock to it because she was a main player kind of in the beginning of this whole thing. Saw her in the beginning of the film and then just see her shot out like that. And, but here's the thing: she's had that piece of paper for 13 years. She still can't figure out the math on this. Yeah, it almost made it seem like back in the beginning of the movie when they were kind of working together, they almost had the same kind of mind frame. You know, they were both kind of uh, geniuses in their own field. That's what I thought. Aldrich heads to where Rhodey and the Iron Patriot are, and this is where your part comes, with Killian's goons trying to pry the armor off of Rhodey. And Killian begins to superheat the suit and purges Rhodey from it. Which, by the way, him jumping out of that suit and laying a haymaker on that one guy, I was like, yes! <laughs> That's when Killian friggin' breathes fire! Whoa! Dragon Man! <laughs> yeah, that was a little that was a little much. But again, why does he take his shirt off to do this? Why don't his clothes burn? And I know we talked about it. But that was just a little... I don't know. It was a little weird for me. It was just... Far-fetched. I think part of it was they wanted to show the tattoos of the dragons. Yes. To kind of give the idea that maybe this is the Mandarin. Yeah. I don't wonder how many, well, they probably had people sold on it. Well, I don't know, because I guess if you're a, if you're a fanboy, you can clearly know that it's like, okay, if this guy is really the Mandarin. Yeah. They are completely missing out on what the original Mandarin should be. Yeah. And, um, I, and I made so, a little note here, which was, according to Seven, Pepper Potts is still in phase two. He, he, he. You know, and I know you mentioned that when we talked about the Avengers last time, and I still missed it. This is the first movie that's in phase two. Ha ha. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Tony escapes his captivity by summoning the Mark 42 suit from Tennessee. Unfortunately, as time is critical, the Mark 42 has yet to regain full flight power. He reunites with Rhodes on the estate and they confront Slattery. Trevor manages to tell both Tony and Rhodes that he's the Mandarin, and Tony goes to confront Killian. They discover that Aldrich intends to attack President Ellis aboard Air Force One. Immediately, they contact the vice president, who lies to them about sending military reinforcements because his daughter is an amputee and could use the extremist formula to regain her lost limb. I did like that part because it just showed you how deep this thing actually went, went all the way into their own government. Yes. Um, where the vice president is actually behind a little bit of this. But the kid fixed the suit. It just had to charge. So why didn't he just put it on a charge before he left if it he was just did. a car battery? He did. The kid's sitting there with it in a car battery. So uh, it just made it it made it seem like this kid had fixed this suit. You know, if that's all it needed was a little car, a jolt, you know, to fix it, then why didn't he just fix it right then and there? You know, when he first got in there. No, it's not a jolt. It needs to charge. A car battery can charge that whole entire suit. Oh, well, what would you have suggested to jolt that whole entire suit then, Steve? Uh, Spare arc reactor in his back pocket? (laughs) Spare arc reactor in his back pocket? (laughs) If he made it in a cave, he can make it anywhere else. Made this suit in a cave <laughs> <laughs> with nothing but scraps. Okay, see, that's when Obadiah is awesome. Not in a suit. Seven boards the president's plane wearing the Iron Patriot suit. Shoots, th- which by the way, how could he wear it if it's coded specifically to War Machine or to to Rhodey? Well, did he wear it 
And was it activated? Well, I mean, he he was caught in the war. He was caught in the Iron Patriot suit. So it was activated. Yeah, it was all up and running. Because we find out they later, some the, really good hackers. We find out later in the movie that uh, Don Cheadle, uh, Rhodey, can't use any of Iron Man suits because they're not coded yeah. to him. Yeah. So then the conceit would be that the Iron Patriot is coded only to him, Rhodey. Well, unless they were able to break that, and so now anybody can just wear it. So now that. Now that that suit, you know, because originally he stole it from Tony. Yeah. And I think we talked about it as how could he wear that suit that he stole if it was geared just for Tony? And what was the reasoning behind that again? I don't remember. Okay. So it's almost like, okay, (laughs) maybe they just, because it's militarized now, that it can't be coded to anybody, maybe just except for Rhodes. So if anybody needs to, I ah, okay, I'm stretching. I'm stretching. It already stretched out. <laughs> I'm uh, working my way into some wormhole. Yep. Savin then blows holes in the airline body, and survivors fall out. Iron Man kills Savin and manages to rescue the falling people. Tony had been controlling the unit by remote control. Hee <laughs> hee. Meanwhile, the Iron Patriot suit flies away with the president on board. Tony and Rhodes trace Aldrich to an impounded oil drilling platform where Aldrich intends to kill Ellis on live TV. The vice president will become a puppet leader following Aldrich's orders in exchange for extremists to cure a little girl's disability. Let's talk about the barrel of monkey scene. Oh, okay. This, uh, I thought the twist of Tony being the remote control was really cool. Yeah, and um, foreshadowed it, earlier. It, yeah, it really puts um, him as evolving as Iron Man. Because I'm pretty soon the technology will just form where he'll never have to be in it ever at all. I right. mean, um, saving all the Air Force One crew members was really neat, a little unrealistic. I'm sure when he slows down and pushes them against the water, it would have damaged them a little bit. But getting them all to kind of gather hands together all at the one time, it just seemed a little unrealistic but at that point i really didn't care because i thought the whole scene was cool anyways well the funny thing about that scene is that that was all practical effects in that they had a helicopter that was holding the iron man suit and then everybody all the actors were on ropes attached to the helicopter also and that's how they did that entire scene oh that scene's even better now yeah because you wouldn't have even thought that you yeah. would have thought that it was all computer, you know, help generated towards, towards it, a bunch of green screen stuff. So that's even better. But there's a little bit of science also where he goes, I'm going to electrify your hand and it's going to close. And I'm like, if you electrify it, doesn't it open? Yeah. Or do you I'm tense sure. up and close? I, I, I don't know. I've never been electrified. Well, I have been on a couple of dumb instances on my part <laughs> where I'm trying to uh, change on a light switch and forget to turn the breaker off. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Uh, it only happens once <laughs> when you do it. And I'll tell you, when you get that little jolt, your your whole arm just pulls back. You know, I don't know if it necessarily closes. I guess I can't really. So there is a contraction thing. of the muscles. Yes. But I just, it's almost just like a, uh, it pulls you back and you just shake it out. I don't know. Maybe it was a little bit low voltage. I don't know. But yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic scene. I love the whole, okay, we're going to do Barrel of Monkeys, guys. Everybody grab onto a monkey. <laughs> we got the chunky monkey last. <laughs> Rhodes manages to locate the president in a massive shipyard at Miami's port. Tony enacts a new strategy and has Jarvis enact the House Party Protocol, which <laughs> unleashes a massive army of Iron Man suits, each one different from the next. On the platform, 
Tony goes to save Pepper, and Rhodes saves the president. Tony summons a fleet of his various Iron Man suits, controlled remotely by Jarvis, to provide air support and attack the many other extremist-infected guards. Rhodes secures the president and leads him to safety, while Tony discovers Pepper has survived the extremist procedure. <gasps> Yay! However, before he can save her, a container crane rig collapses around them, and she falls 200 feet to her apparent death. And I'll be honest with you, Steve, I legitimately thought she was dead at this point when I first saw it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And you saw it on Tony's face. The music um, swells. It, they don't try to pull anything back. They're trying to fool you here. Mm -hmm. Tony is forced into confronting Aldrich using several suits and finally traps him in the 42 suit that self-destructs. But a glowing Aldrich survives and staggers toward a defenseless Stark. Killian tells Tony that the Mandarin was made up, that I am the Mandarin, and that all attacks were taken out by extremist experiments. And that is when Pepper f***ing Pop shows up with oh, yes. her extremist powers, a wonderful costume, and the ability to use some parts of the Iron Man suit. And she finishes off the weakened Aldrich. And I will never forget when she put her hand through the suit that was going to attack her. There were people in my crowd that went bat crazy. <laughs> This whole, as much as I know Aldrich Killian is a divisive character, you got to admit his fight with Tony Stark in this is awesome. The hand-to-hand yeah. -hand combat is great. Oh yeah, I totally agree. It was um it was interesting to see Tony go after Aldrich. I said it right this time. You did good to job. Go after, Aldrich, to go after Aldrich, but I thought it was kind of neat that he was jumping in and out of his own suits mm -hmm. and all the ones that he was doing, and um and then still calling on Jarvis to help him out a little bit. But he fully didn't immerse himself in the Iron Man. You now just jump in like one of his best suits and just take him out right then and there. So I I kind of like the fact that he just didn't go straight for that and kind of jumped in and out of every single suit because then you got to see some of the suits, what was special about him, what was unique about him because each they. They all have their certain little quirks about them. You know, <laughs> like what the, one can do over the other. So, um, Like when the Mark 42 shows up and you're like, the prodigal son returns. Yeah. <laughs> it's the thing it shatters. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There's a glitch in that. There's a glitch in that suit. He's got to figure that one out. Yeah, he hasn't <laughs> used the Mark 42 after this one, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, and Paltrow, welcome to not just being a CEO, but also... You're officially a bad in the MCU. Oh, yeah. She looks awesome. Fantastic. When she comes out, I don't know. That's just, that was a little bit of the eye candy in this show. Yeah, in this was. movie. It when was. she comes out, she just she just looked great. Well, I, I love when he's it. like, how come you don't dress like this at home? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> After the battle, Tony orders Jarvis to implement the clean slate protocol, which destroys each remaining Iron Man suit remotely as a sign of his intention to devote more time to Pepper. The vice president and Slattery are arrested. In a voiceover, Tony mentions he cures Pepper, and Tony himself undergoes surgery to remove the shrapnel embedded near his heart. He pitches his obsolete chest arc reactor into the sea, musing he will always be Iron Man even without his armor. He gathers some scrap parts from his house wreckage and drives off in his Audi e-tron. He then leaves Harley with a rebuilt garage and a new version of Harley's trademark potato gun, telling him that Iron Man will be back and leaves a thank you note from the mechanic. And in a post credit scene, it is revealed that Stark has been recounting his experiences to Dr. Bruce Banner. 
who awakens <laughs> having fallen asleep at the beginning of Tony's story. And it's yeah. followed by the words, Tony Stark will return, not Iron Man will return. Oh, see, I didn't even get that. And credits roll. But I, I heard you wanted to say something there at the end. Well, the one thing I kind of like there at the end is when, you know, when he leaves Harley and rebuilt that lab. Yeah. I mean, Harley's face was just like he saw Christmas. Oh, that God. would happen with anybody. I mean, that's like he went from like a rinky dink, like hole in the wall, like little shack garage to the state of the art facility that is probably bigger and better than anything in the whole state of Tennessee. You know, it's literally a miniaturized. Like mini that was just like, that was really cool for Tony to do. It's literally that a miniaturized version of his, of his so own I thought garage. That was really nice. Yeah. It's a miniaturized version of his own workshop. Yeah, that kid's like, all the things I can do, all the bullies I can take care of now. <laughs> he, even, he even put in there a hot rod. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he had a full-size car. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, okay, so according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 65%, 35 fresh reviews, and 11 rotten. And the critics, on average, gave this film a 6.3 out of 10. But the audience, who's always smarter... Gave this film a 3.9 out of 5 with 78% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. So the movie's over, Steve. Were you entertained by Iron Man 3? Uh, to me, it was a slow burn. I got through it, didn't I? <laughs> you, you did. Yeah. yeah. Joe, uh, please. Was there any lightning on this? Yeah. What did it's, you think of it's it? the Downey show. It's Robert Downey Jr. It's electric. I'm in. Yes. I love him with the kid. I love him with Cheadle. I love... Watching Tony be Tony without having to be Iron Man was really, really cool for the majority of this film because he had to be witty, and I liked that. So I was a fan. But let's figure out whether the awards got it right and whether this movie is worth your time or not. At the Academy Awards, it was nominated for one award, Best Achievement in Special Effects, and it lost to Gravity. I agree. I think Gravity should the only one. I, the only one I would argue with Maybe the desolation of Smaug, only because mm -hmm. putting a big old dragon on screen and everything else that they put on there, that was pretty epic. That was cool. I did see Gravity. <laughs> the wife hated it. Um, <laughs> every time I mentioned Gravity, she just is like, ugh. But I mean, <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad. But I think I don't know. It would have. I guess it would have been a toss up between Gravity and um, The Hobbit. For me. The other two, Into the Darkness, I never saw. And the Lone Ranger, don't have an interest to see. <laughs> yeah, it's not good, trust me. Uh, at the Golden Globes, where you would expect it to do better, it didn't get any nominations. Mm -mm. If you go to the Saturn Awards, it got five nominations and three wins. Now, one for Best Actor for Iron Man 3, and I've got to agree after looking at the list that's there. Uh, looking at the list, yeah. Yeah. Best Comic to Film Motion Picture. Iron Man 3 wins over Man of Steel. The Wolverine, and Thor The Dark World. Do you have any qualms about that win? You're thinking of Man of Steel, aren't you? God, get out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was thinking of Man of Steel. Wolverine, I did not I did see. I didn't. I don't remember a whole too much about. It probably wasn't that memorable. No. Thor The Dark World is an entity all on its own. We'll be doing that next week. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. I know you have your, I know you have your comments on it. But I'm going to watch I, it right after know, recording a, this. It's a toss-up. Iron Man 3 or Man of Steel, I guess. For a Saturn Awards, I'd give it to Iron Man 3. Okay. Uh, best music went to this guy named Chaim Frank Ilfman for Big Bad Wolves, but 
there are some other ones on here. I mean, you have Howard Shore for The Hobbit. You got John Williams for The Book Thief. You got Danny. Well, no one remembers Oz the Great and Powerful. No. But Brian Tyler for Iron Man 3, I really liked the soundtrack. It wasn't memorable to me. No? It really wasn't. No, I didn't hear much about it. I mean, maybe it's because of coming off the high of Silver of Sylvester from Avengers. Oh, yeah. Um, but it wasn't kind of, it, it wasn't iconic or anything that stuck out for me. Again, I guess maybe the only thing was maybe the scene at the end of Pepper falling. They really made you feel sad for that moment. But other than that, couldn't tell you anything about the music. See, at I, all. Love the, I love um, the 60s guess, style spy music at the end. Is that a. <laughs> when they're doing uh, the montage? When they're doing what again? The montage at the very end of the movie during the credits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'd have to go back and listen to that. I didn't. I kind of once the credits started rolling, I kind of fast forward right through the uh, post credit scene, so I missed <laughs> that. Uh, best performance by a younger character went to Chloe Grace Moretz for Carrie, but Ty Simpkins was up for this for Iron Man three. Should he have won? Uh, if if he wasn't first, he wasn't third. I'll tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> uh, it, I know you have your your saying on on kid actors. I think he bringing he pretty much turned Tony Stark back into Iron Man. Yeah, and helped him through PTSD. You know, I don't know in the beginning of the podcast you had mentioned is this the PTSD kind of intro? More definitely, it definitely is. Yeah. Um, and for him to bring Tony back out of that, I I totally get it. I didn't see this. I'm assuming this is for the new Carrie and all the other ones. I kind of really don't remember. Mm-hmm. So by default, I probably would have given it to Ty. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, best Supporting Actor went to Ben Kingsley as Trevor Slattery. I'm looking at the list here. You got Benedict Cumberbatch for Star Trek Into Darkness, Bill Nye for About Time, Daniel Brühl for Rush, George Clooney for Gravity, Harrison Ford for Ender's Game, and Tom Hiddleston for Thor The Dark World. I would say Tom, but Ben Kingsley played two completely different characters in this movie, and he did both really well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it makes me want to go, and make, again, you know, well... Now that Tom Hiddleston's in it, we're going to have to revisit this after we see Thor The Dark World. Yes, we are. Because you, know you know me, if he's a supporting actor and he's a villain, I know. I have a soft, I have a soft spot for that. But no, you're definitely right. He played two different characters, and he was so extremely suave about it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I like the, that, too. The MTV Movie Awards, for, it was nominated for Best Cameo. No one gives a shit about that award. What we do care about is Best Hero. Henry Cavill wins for Man of Steel over Robert Downey Jr. for Iron Man 3, Martin Freeman for The Hobbit, Chris Hemsworth for Thor, and Channing Tatum for White House Down. Do you agree, Henry Cavill, Man of Steel? I do. Was he... Was Robert Downey Jr. really... I don't know. I think you got to think of it. He was Tony Stark uh, most of the I movie. I don't know. He was Tony Stark most of the movie. It's hard to say. I mean, for that case, I'd have to... When was... Here's the thing. Man of Steel That's is funny true. because... At no point in that movie is he Clark Kent. No, he's the hero. Yeah. Superman. Yeah. He hasn't become really Clark Kent, the guy we know from the newspaper, until the end of that movie. No, and when you put it that way, I totally agree. Because he's the hero. Not Robert Downey Jr. He's the man. So, Well, okay. Good distinction. All right, on to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Steve, what are your top three things to highlight in Iron Man 3? All right, well, the number three, I put how the suit, the MK-42, saves Tony. I thought that was really neat. Mm -hmm. When it's underwater and it says, you know, Jarvis says, take a deep breath. It comes off of his hand, reaches around, and grabs him and pulls him to safety. 
that's just something different. We've never seen that with the suit before. Okay. Uh, number two, Tony working behind the scenes with the suit. It really shows the evolution of his technology, yeah. especially during the Air Force One crew members. I have a tough time flying a simple drone. <laughs> I think, you know, Jamie, I think for, dang it, edit. Um, the wife, <laughs> she got me. I mean, a, if, um, I, I don't have to got, edit that if you don't, if you don't, if you don't care. Oh, I, 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 it doesn't matter, I guess. She gave me, it was, it's Marvel related. She gave me a little Thor and uh, an Endgame Thor that has a little <laughs> propeller on top. And, you know, you're supposed to, granted, you're supposed to use your hand to levitate this thing. I couldn't even get this thing to levitate over my hand <laughs> in like three seconds. If that, and I'm, then I'm afraid to hitting the wall and it just crashes and burns. This guy, it's just amazing skill what he can do. He's so flawless with it, you know? Um, I'm I sorry, man. I'm laughing really, because really you said deep. Jamie gave me a little Thor. <laughs> she, she handled she the hammer of Asgard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was really, really cool uh, behind the scenes. And they yeah. kind of foreshadowed that in the beginning when he was doing that with the suit with Pepper. But that was more comical. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, and my number one, I have a feeling you might agree with me. It might not be in yours. I don't know. But the banter between Tony and the kid is just priceless. It's Again, fantastic. it brings it back to classic Tony Stark. And he really treats him as an equal. Yeah. In the beginning, he treats him like a little kid, like, who the heck are you? And then the kid kind of shows him up a little bit and says, all right, I'm going to treat you like one of my friends. I'm going to treat you like the robots in the uh, in his lab. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, I'm eerily interested to hear about your top three. What are they, buddy? Well, I know you're interested. Do you know why I know you're interested? <laughs> why is that, buddy? Because we're connected. <laughs> my number three, Iron Man saving the people from the flight. The Barrel of Monkey style. I'm always surprised. I always forget the scene is in the movie. And every time I watch it, I'm like, this is a great scene. Everything about it is fantastic. All the way until the truck hits the Mark 42. Mm, yeah. <laughs> my number two, Pepper Potts Crescendo. In Iron Man 1, she's just his assistant. Iron Man 2, she's the CEO of Stark Industries. In Iron Man 3, she's not only powered up with Extremis, but she dons the armor twice as rescue. Mm -hmm. So, yep. well done, Pepper. You've, you, you've arrived. And my number one, I think, is out of sight, one of the coolest things I've ever seen put to film, and that's the house party protocol. <laughs> uh, when you see all those suits fly in, and the look on roadie's face like is that yep are those yep merry christmas <laughs> merry christmas buddy <laughs> take him to church uh yeah i just love that scene i think it's so cool to look at e even the parts where he's jumping off of certain cranes and landing into suits yes yeah i totally agree that was a really really cool scene how they did that yeah jarvis i need a suit all right move on to the bottom three time to vent steve i know you've been waiting Oh God! Bottom I'm a little, ner I'm a little nervous to be honest. <laughs> right, number three, and this happened in the van at the beauty pageant. The extremist storyline on why these people became the way they are. It's someone else trying to replicate a super soldier serum. I didn't think it was very original. They've been doing this for a little bit, and I guess this is just the, they're trying. Somebody's trying to make a new superhuman superhero person and again you know pepper Potts was right in this whole thing that they wanted to weaponize it and that's exactly what justin or um aldridge did <laughs> um my number two molten hot people but their clothes and everything they walk on um 
they touch stays the way it is. That's like saying when the Hulk gets big and he transforms back, his clothes still fit him again. <laughs> That's, boy, you're really you're really stuck on that thing. <laughs> it is. I just was like, it, it, like I said, I'm. It's probably being nitpicky, but to me, it just stuck out like a sore thumb. And my number one, I feel like I was cheated by the Mandarin. It was all an act. The Ben Kingsley, um, Trevor, whole storyline thing. I really like that. If that ended up being, you know, still the Mandarin in the end, uh, I, I would have been happy with it or something like that. I just felt it was cheated. I'm the real Mandarin. I was like, okay, buddy. I don't, uh, I didn't really like it. So I felt cheated. I was in that. Again, I know we've had our differences on that in previous conversations, but yeah, those were the reasons why I did not really care for much for this film. Joe? What are the things that you didn't like? This is where you zip it. All right, the adult is talking. Okay, here we go. So, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> My number three. So the TVs are covering helicopters shooting missiles at Stark's house. Did anybody from the media figure to call in the military here before this happened? Yeah. Where, where, where was Rhodes during this one? That's my number three. My number two is I still don't understand how the extremist inhalers work. Because there, it comes in a briefcase with a bunch of metal parts. Where's the drug? Yeah, really? When you say inhaler, so they, what, they breathe that stuff in there? Yeah, because he breathes it in before he explodes in the Chinese theater. Oh, yeah. I guess it might be like a little medical inhaler. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. And my number one is the time in Rose Hill, Tennessee... Yes, I will agree. It seems to drag just a bit. Mm-hmm. I will concede to that. I'm sorry. Did I just mishear you or did you agree with me? I agreed with you. <laughs> <laughs> now, the critics rating, we use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. A C is considered average. A is the highest. F is the lowest. If the movie is so bad, it receives Fs from all the hosts. Goes in a new category of movie, the movie planet Global Killer. A category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it actually is. See the Friday the 13th movies, please. So, the question <laughs> is... What do you give Iron Man 3 in the comic book feature film genre? Steve, do you want to go first or do you want to close us? I would like to go first. Okay. Only because this is, I want to just let everybody know, and you mostly, Joe, this is going to be my most honest, raw grading and my so-called defense for why I gave it the grade it is. And it's just the way I honestly feel. Okay, Um, let me give you an intro. Sometimes you got to (laughs) run. Before you can walk. Go. <laughs> okay. Um, in this film, I was lost through most of it. And the parts I was most still lost at was in the, was it probably a third of the way through the movie is when they were firing at Tony's house. What was still the motive for getting rid of Tony? It was interesting to see that the attack on New York was still mentally drained, was mentally draining for the Avengers most Importantly, on this one being Tony Stark, the leader, um, the fact that he is more that he, it made him look more human, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Killian and his human torch posse. It was just a weird gimmick that I just didn't get into. Overall, it didn't didn't really excite me throughout it. It seems almost skippable. I didn't learn much about the overall story. There's no fury. There was no shield. How come they weren't involved? I mean, this was a global ep- epidemic, and um, you have this. Killian, Adrian, Aldridge, whatever his name is. He was very 
superhumanish, super villainous, I guess. Why weren't they involved? How come they didn't know about anything? It was good to see the War Machine and Iron Patriot. Kind of missed them in Avengers. It just felt blah too many times. Maybe most of it was through the Tennessee time. Um, it's tough to follow up from Avengers. Ugh, sorry, but I, I just I give it a C minus. It's a little bit below average for me. The only way that I would honestly watch this one again is if I wanted to be a completionist with someone who needs to watch this in the correct order. But then at that point, I'd still say, you know, find me when you're done. We'll talk about it. I don't know. Good That's job. my grade, and I'm sticking to it. Joe? Yeah. You got anything for me? I do. Or what do you think? I have an essay. Uh, I, I have not I have not looked at it, buddy, so I am... Well, this movie... This movie is something new in the MCU. So far, the movies have been origin stories, and to that end, rather formulaic, albeit very well done in a formulaic way. Then there was Avengers, bringing all these origins together for an origin story of a team. This movie is one where the hero is already established, and uniquely, not just with one movie, but two. As the third in the series, it, does want to, it doesn't want to make the mistakes of Iron Man 2 and simplify the problem. Rather than Tony deal with external threats, he's really dealing with his own internal issues after the Battle of New York. He clearly is suffering from a branch of post-traumatic stress disorder. And the metaphors for any anxiety that is felt is done very well through losing control of suits to the loneliness of the disorder. In this case, Tony is stripped of everything, Pepper, his suits, Jarvis, communication, and yet still feels like he's on a mission. Yes, the Mandarin is a fantastic villain until... He's not the villain, and Aldrich claims to be the real Mandarin. And at that time, that was fine by me. In the next movie, there's a Marvel one-shot called All Hail the King, where we follow Trevor Slattery in prison and find out that although he thought the Mandarin was made up, there actually is a Ten Rings organization, and there is an actual Mandarin. And now that we know, based off of last, uh, last year's San Diego Comic-Con, that Shang-Chi is going to be with the Ten Rings organization in his movie, this kind of gives a little more oomph to what this movie should be. Now, whereas many saw this movie as a data dump for Tony and mere filler, the fact the Ten Rings has been alluded to in Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, and now Iron Man 3 shows that the shadow behind the scenes for Tony at least has always been there. The movie examines what Tony is without the suit, a question that Captain America brings up in Marvel's The Avengers, and in turn, Tony learns how to solve his problems without the aid of a suit. This is a Tony Stark movie, not necessarily a Iron Man movie. Many times we ask why these movies don't do anything different. Well, this one does, and it does so very well. There aren't many plot holes here, and the acting is fantastic in it. However, the dearth of bad guys is only put together in this film to give us the house party protocol as a scene. Realistically, they didn't need to do that. If it was just Killian versus Tony and Pepper, I think I would have actually preferred that and it would have kept with the personal nature of the film. Have Tony win without the need for his technology. So for that reason, I would give this movie a B-. However, Rhodey is better developed here, something we'll need before the next Avengers movie. Pepper's character arc is completed, thus making more room for the MCU to focus on Iron Man's storyline. Tony destroying all of his suits that he would don. So when Age of Ultron comes around, we find that the Iron Legion are robots that are drones rather than suits, which is actually an idea you know he got from Ivan in Iron Man 2. 
the removal of the chess piece to show him moving on from what has driven the three Iron Man movies, the payoff of the Ten Rings, which was developed in Iron Man 1, and thou, now we know it was a hoodwink, <laughs> and the introduction and rapport that Stark has with Harley Keener, someone he sees as a peer of science and teaches him a few things, leaving him one hell of a new garage, which seemed to signal that he sees a possible heir apparent in Harley Keener. For all those reasons, I have to move my grade up from a B- to a B+. As a film, a damn fine installment in the MCU, and a great closing to the Iron Man trilogy. That gives Iron wow. Man... Yeah. So that gives Iron Man 3 an overall grade of a B- between us, an 8.000. It's above average, but mm-hmm. not high enough a grade to bump into the Pantheon! <laughs> wah, 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 wah! So, going back to what our Pantheon is, just to be clear, Iron Man 3 did not make it on because Deadpool is number one, Iron Man is number two, The Dark Knight is number three, Batman Begins is number four, Marvel's The Avengers is number five, Captain America The First Avenger is number six, and Thor holds on at number seven. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, Steve? I like it. I agree with it wholeheartedly. I really do. <laughs> I I mean, I know eventually some of these films are, I'm almost starting to debate on, I don't even know if the Avengers movie will even hold on, but so far I like, I, I like all of them. Heck it could even be Batman begins gets knocked out. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get our critics hats off. Do you love this movie? Like this movie? Or none of the above, Steve? None of the above? No, that is a, that, that 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 is an option there. Yes, um, none of the above. Um, like I said, I don't really. I'll, I'll watch it again only if I have to. But if, even at that point, I'm gonna try to persuade myself not to watch it. I love this movie. I, <laughs> you can hear the smile on the podcast. That's how big I'm smiling. I love this movie. Okay. But now the ultimate question, would pre-college kids love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above? Steve, what do you think? Um, I think none of the above again. I think it's tough to follow up from a major movie role. Oh, we, um, we'll know that as we keep going through this MCU with you. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, there might have been a little bit of a foreshadowing on. That oh, there's part. a trend, uh, my friend. <laughs> uh, Joe, we uh, we think we know these pre-college kids. What do you think? <laughs> I think that they would like it. They won't love it. They they will definitely prefer Iron Man one and two. Would you agree? Yes, I do. Yeah, I just think well, the older the kid, the more they would appreciate it. But one and two, I think, because of the the flash and the boom and the bang and all that stuff, it just adds more to those. You know what they what they like at the time. So I'm going to say they would like it, not love it. Well, that's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we will continue our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Thor The Dark World. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at MoviePlanetPod, and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. 
The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Special thanks to Twisterium and SoundJ Music for providing any intro and closing music that we may use for other shows. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching! <laughs>